0: We're on our last three weeks. Uh, We're going to spend this week talking about families, and then we're going to spend two weeks talking about the armor of God um, to close out. And then our next series, um, Steve is currently planning, which will be a good one for that as well. Um, Before we get started, though, I'm going to go ahead and pray that I can stop talking and that God will talk through me. So if you'd bow your heads with me. Father God, we just pray to thank you for Paul and writing this book Um, of Ephesians to the people that it was intended to, but also for us. God, as we look at, uh, continue to look at these cultural differences and how we should act within uh, different scenarios of life, um, God, that we would be able to see you in all of that and act like you through all of it. And so, God, as we dive into Ephesians 6, I pray that your words would be the words that come out of my mouth and that your truth would be revealed to us today. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. All right. So I was a little bummed out um, today because my son was supposed to come up and I was supposed to be able to read the famous verse that all parents love to say to their children, which is right at the beginning of chapter six, and it's children obey your parents. That's, I think every pastor that has ever had a kid in the congregation when they do this loves to say that piece. And so I'm bummed that I don't get to. Uh, today, but it's okay. Um, We'll make our way through it anyways. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Ephesians 6. Can you click on? Beautiful. Uh, We're going to go ahead, and we're just doing uh, 6, 1 through 9 today. Um, So we'll go ahead, read through this, and then we'll break it down. So 6, 1, it says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, and in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ. Not by way of eye service, As men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from their heart with good with good will render service as to the Lord and not to the men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. And masters do the same yeah, masters do the same thing to them and give up threatening, knowing that both your master and and yours in heaven and there is no partiality with him. Okay, so in this in this 9 verses Paul focuses on four perspectives at which we serve God and obey God. And so we're going to take a look at those today and break down kind of the differences between those. And so the four that we see are child, parent. He says fathers, but we'll get to that and why I say parent, slave and master. So, we're going to start with children. And this one's really easy. It's obedient, honor, and right and well are the three big things that he tells children to do. Now up there I have a few words that are the Greek translations. Um, Last week, uh, Steve kind of talked about obedience and submission a little bit. And here it's that same word. Hapaka'u'o is uh, essentially how it's pronounced. Um, And it is. It's to submit or to obey, or to go under the power of someone else. And so here it says, children, do this for your parents. Also, it says to honor them, which this one was interesting, because he goes on to say this is the first commandment with a promise. And so I go back to the Ten Commandments, and I'm like, I'm pretty sure there's one that has a promise attached to it before this one. There's not. This is the first one where there's a promise, and he follows the promise with, if you honor your parents, you will live long lives. That's interesting. And then lastly, it's right and well, he says. Right meaning that it's the righteous thing to do, and well meaning it's the morally correct thing to do. And so in these first three verses, what Paul is saying to the children is that, hey, you need to submit to your parents, obey what they have done, because it is the righteous thing to do. It's not because it's healthy for you. It's not because it'll keep you out of trouble, but it's the righteous thing to do. And we all aspire to live righteously. The one that I want to spend the most time on is the word honor, though. We hear the word honor a lot throughout scripture about honoring God and honoring parents. And I think sometimes the the actual definition of that word can get muddled and lost in translation somewhere. And so two two of the translations of the word temeo, one is just honor. There's no definition to it. But then the second one is to revere or to prize. A funny story that, again, it would have been better if my son was here. Back when I was in the Army, I would go and visit my son every once in a while. And uh, he was about five or six at this time. I had a really nice gaming laptop that we would sit there and play video games on. And I asked him the question of when I leave, what does he miss more, my computer or me? His natural response was my computer because it held all the video games, the key to his joy. And uh, I've asked him that a couple of other times with things, and it's always whatever the object is and not me, which, you know, I think speaks to to me as a person and and my shortcomings. But that, I think, is how we interact with God a lot as well. Because if we think this is directed to us as well because we are children of God, And the idea of honoring God is to choose God or to prize him over anything else. And yet we find ourselves continually going through life and choosing a sinful action versus a righteous action. We choose disobedience over obedience. And it's because our desire to honor our our willingness to hold God as the prize that he is is one of our shortcomings. And so, while it's fun to always direct this at our kids or younger kids, Paul is directing this at us as well because we too are either someone's child or God's child. And so if we read it through that lens of the lens of of looking back at ourselves and as God as our parent it's a pretty convicting passage. But it speaks the truth that if we do obey God, we will live a righteous life. If we honor God and we prize him above else, we'll probably not make stupid choices that could shorten our lives. Those, that's just easy to figure out. And God promises often that if we do abide by his rules, that we will have success and be prosperous and have longevity. And so all of it flows very, very well. The next perspective that we get into is this perspective of parenthood. Now, Paul directly points out fathers because in a household, the father is the spiritual leader. We are held accountable to that position. But this doesn't say, mothers, you're off the hook. It's not what it says. And so in verse 4, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in discipline and in instruction. Now, the word provoke is a very familiar one for me as showing grace to people is not something I do well. Um, most guys that I disciple will tell you that, um, I'm very good at Pentecostally punching people with hard truths or or convictions. And I noticed that I used to do this with my son a lot and I would make fun or poke at things and get him riled up. That's the exact definition of what provoking is. And we're told not to do that. So conviction to this guy. Right, but then it also says the, the word is per, gizo." It also says to exasperate, which is an interesting term, and it means to just make them feel meh is really the best way to describe it. Right, that is in the dictionary if you want to look it up. Um, but so the more I think about this, the more I started to realize that that's what I did to my son the most is I would make him feel tired around me or not want to be there because I would poke fun at different things or I'd tell him to get good while playing a video game. But I I would cross that line of where it's okay to do it because it's fun, but then we cross that line into going too far. And so just as today as I wanted to tell my son to obey me because the Bible says to I also wanted to apologize because this is something that I fall very guilty of. And even with the guys that I lead at the campus or disciple, this is really where I live, is pushing people to that little bit too far and they become exasperated of being around me or stuff like this. And that's something that I'm currently working towards. But this call as a father, not only to my son, but as a spiritual father to those that I claim to want to disciple and train, is really hard, but we're given a good example on how to do this for all parents and everything. And so normally I don't go outside of the given scripture because I like to just focus on that, but we're going to travel somewhere. So in your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Deuteronomy 11. And we're going to read 18 through 21. Because the question as a parent is, okay, if I'm not allowed to make fun of my child, I thought, like, that's a right given to a parent, right? If I'm not allowed to do that and I'm supposed to discipline and instruct slash train them, what does that look like biblically? And we see that here in Deuteronomy. It says, you shall therefore impress these words of mine on your heart and on your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead." You shall teach them to your sons, talking to them when, they, when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house, on your gates, so that your days and the days of your son may be multiplied on the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them, as long as the heavens remain above the earth. So there's two key factors here that we see. One, is it talks about impressing the words of mine on your heart. And so the first thing, I can't be a parent to someone, whether physical or spiritual, without impressing the basics of whatever it is that I'm doing into my own life. So spiritually, if I don't have a successful time with God daily, if I don't know how to pray well, if I don't know how to share the gospel, I can't teach that to my child or I can't impart that wisdom to somebody else. And so that's the first and foremost thing that we need to work on as a spiritual parent. Secondly, it says talk to them when you're at home, talk to them while they're walking, talk to them when they lie down. And this shows an intentionality of whatever you want to teach or instruct someone in doing by living it out with them in consistency. And so if I want my child to know who God is, know how to spend time with him and know how to pray, I need to be doing that with him on a consistent basis. Same thing goes for a guy that I disciple if I want them to know how to read scripture, I need to read scripture with them. If I want them to know how to pray, I need to pray with him. Now, this all doesn't go without the discipline part because admonishing is part of life. If we don't admonish someone, if we don't help them and challenge them to grow forward, they're going to stay stagnant. And so, as a parent, it's our job to do that with our kids as well, to not let them sell themselves short. I got angry at my son the other day. This was a couple months ago. He, uh, his mom forced him to be a part of a spelling bee and he didn't want to do it. And he said that he got up there, was given his word and just failed it on purpose. And I went nuts. Because my son is a very intelligent kid and he easily could have spelt the word. But he's like, dad, I just didn't care. I was like, but I get that. But you didn't allow yourself to excel. That's the issue. And if you do that enough, you're going to think that you can't excel. And so the little victories in life are sometimes the thing that sets the bedrock for the bigger victories later in life. And so in admonishing, we help people do that by pushing them to, even if it is a small victory, encouraging that. But if they fall, pick them up, dust them off. Be like, all right, well, that was dumb, but let's move forward. And then the instruct and the train part of this is the second half of that Deuteronomy verse, and I think Jesus models this very well, as does Paul, is just living life with people, right? If you think about a child, spends most of his time at home. Most of the behaviors that they learn is from home, not from school, right? They'll pick some things up from school, or if they hang around a group of friends the most, they'll pick things up from them but most of it is at home. And so living with the people that you wish to instruct or train is vital. Just like Jesus lived with the disciples and therefore was able to instruct and train them in every aspect, we too are called to do that with our families, but also our spiritual children. So moving on, we get to the other perspective, which is the slave and the master perspective. Now, one thing that I was struggling with is the slave perspective and the child's perspective are very similar. But I know if I were to call children slaves, that would not be a good thing. So we're going to try and stay away from that. And we're going to focus on two aspects, one being the obedience factor, because I think we can't say enough that obeying God, obeying those that we choose to submit ourselves is vital. If Steve was here, I'm sure he would tell a story about a private. Privates have the easiest job in the military, bar none. You don't have to think for yourself, just do as you're told. It's that simple. It's that simple. And so here, in the life of of being a slave, it was that same thing. You didn't have free will. It was if you obeyed, you got good stuff. If you didn't, you were left out. Right? As a child, it's easy. Obey, you can get that piece of candy that you want at the market. If you don't, you're probably not going to get it. Like, that's just the way it is. But the part that I really, really focus on is it, the fear and trembling part. Because fear and trembling is often just a weird conversation when we're talking about scripture and when we're talking about obedience to God. And so in verse 5 it says, Slaves be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, and the sincerity of your heart as to Christ. And so here Paul is talking to slaves to fear and tremble your master just as you do Christ. And so in looking up the words in the Greek translation and, and what the word actually means, it wasn't making sense. Paul's literal translation here is fear as in horror and tremble as in some sort of trauma. Those don't match up with the reverential fear that Paul normally uses. And so I did some more digging and I found out that fear and trembling is a phrase that has a specific definition when used. And that definition is used to describe the anxiety of one who distrusts his ability completely to meet all requirements, but religiously does his utmost to fulfill his duty. That is the definition of what fear and trembling is. And so in knowing that, in thinking about other times we hear that we should be fearful and tremble with God, and here where it says fearful and tremble of masters, for the slave is We do. We should be like, okay, my ability is not good enough. But I'm going to do this to the best of my ability. With God, we know we can achieve it with his help. And that's why I think it's very important that Paul says, do this as you would do it to Christ for your master. And so a slave is to do everything that they can to fulfill their duty, not so that the master is pleased, but so that Christ is pleased. And that's a, an interesting concept to think of, because how many of us have had an employer that we just loathed? I'm pretty sure we all have, right? And they ask you to do something, and it's like, nope, I don't want to do that. There's no benefit for me to do this. There's no reason I should do this because xyz but here what it says is do it not for him but for god and we're told throughout a lot of paul's books is that we should do everything to god's glory and even here he says don't do it for man's service or for eye service but do it for god and so here it's the biggest perspective change is as a slave as someone that works under somebody else is doing the work not for who our employer is, but for God in the process, which is a hard pill to swallow sometimes. Pride, it's never a good thing. Lastly, it talks about masters. And this, this perspective is really, really funny because he's just like, do the same thing. Everything that I've listed above, masters, do it. And he's not just talking about the slave's portion. He's talking about the father and the child portion here as well. And so here we see that as a master, you too are a slave, a parent, and a child. And so we too in our lives, whatever position you have or wherever you are in life, these four perspectives are applicable to you. I think the big thing here is he talks about not threatening. Give up on threatening. This idea that as a master, we can threaten someone to do something a little bit more. Well, then that's probably going to come right back to you. And you have the age-old saying of treat others the way you would like to be treated. I don't like being threatened. I don't know anyone that does. But if we give up on that and we just live with this perspective of being obedient to God and wanting to honor and train and love those around us, it comes easy. And we see that all four of these things are actually one thing, and it's just a child of God. All four of these perspectives converge on one aspect, and that is living for God. So as always, end the services with what does this mean? What does it mean for us? What is the practical application? And to not sound like a broken record um, and saying it a lot is the principles that we see in this passage of obedience and honoring and living righteously and the fear and trembling are all important and vital things for us to live a life devoted to God. And so the question that I want to leave you with today is maybe one of these areas is a tougher area for you to get past or to be in. I laid out that my fatherhood skills are very poor um, for the most part in the exasperating of people. I need to learn to show grace more. Other times, obedience could be difficult. You could be in a stormy time of your life where obedience just doesn't seem like the answer. It probably is. Or honoring God. Intentionally choosing to prize God over anything else in life is a daily challenge. And a daily struggle. And so, I think that's what Paul is trying to get at with this, is culturally what do you struggle with? Is it, do you struggle being a father to people or a parent to people? Do you struggle obeying people as a child? Do you struggle with the fear aspect of knowing you can't doing, do something, but instead of relying on your own power, relying on God's? So in closing today, and as we go to the table, I, just, I challenge you to think on that aspect. To think on which, which of those key, key perspectives are what you struggle with. If you'd pray with me. Father God, we pray to thank you that you are a father that is good. Father, that you know the right amount of discipline, that you know how to instruct well, and that you don't provoke us, even though sometimes we think it is you. If we look at ourselves, we know that it's just us not obeying what it is that you tell us to do. God, as we go throughout life, we all take place or hold one of these labels in our life. God, I just pray that we would know what obedience looks like, that we would know and choose to honor you over other things in our life. And God, that we would be fearful and tremble and know that we can't do things by ourselves, but we need your power in order to do that. Father, as we approach the table, I ask that our hearts would be humbled and that you would show us the area of our life in which you would like to work on. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen.